Hello, cinephiles, and welcome to Silver Screen Sips, a podcast where three idiots talk about movies. And today we bring you another Spielberg classic, Jurassic Park. I don't know if we all did that in unison or if we did not. It was beautiful, though. Isaiah, why don't you, before we kick off, tell us a little bit about our sponsor. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shaker and Spoon, monthly subscription service that gives you bar quality recipes and ingredients designed by award-winning mixologists. If you'd like to try it out for yourself, then head on over to shakerandspoon.com and use promo code SIPS10 to get $10 off your first subscription. That's again, SIPS10 to get $10 off. Sip, S-I-P-S. Now, since I cannot do this uh, intro, Lewis. What's what's coming up? Well, it's everyone's favorite segment, don't you know, Beth? No, what? She doesn't know a lot. Sorry. Hey. Ooh. <laughs> We're Good on a roll today. We're uh, just roasting each other left and right. That's okay. And since we're on a roll, we're gonna roll right into this week in Hollywood. Perfect. Beautiful. That was good. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Great segment. Great segment. Oh, it's me. Um, so there's been <laughs> there's been a lot. So um, kicking things off, there has been a lot of news this past few weeks in the movie making industry. So it is hard for us to pick our favorite or the biggest headlines. However, there were a few that stood out to us. Um, so starting off with the new Transformers reboot. Not a reboot. It is a reboot. It's not a reboot. It is a re- it's rebooting the franchise. It's not a reboot. It's literally a. It's a sequel from the last one. No, they literally stated it's a reboot. How can it be a reboot if it's an exact sequel? It's not even like a reboot to the franchise. It is a sequel. Because it has nothing to do with it. I looked into Optimus it. Optimus Prime shows up. It's a continuation. It's, no, it, it could it's, be a different it's, it's version. or whatever the fuck. Yeah. I, it's not a reboot. There's no way. Starting off with a new Transformers movie. How's that? Actually, Isaiah is correct. I just I just saw a, a sentence that it's not a rise. Okay, both of you guys can suck my dick. <laughs> it's officially a sequel to Bumblebee, not a reboot. But Bumblebee is not. It's it's a spinoff. Well, it's a prequel. Okay. Oh, whatever. I never watched any of them, so. Nah, guys, guess what? Guess what, our new trans- what do you call it? Transformers will be our next franchise on the thing. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. I would not. I would, I would not. I would not. I, God, no, please. <laughs> if we're going to trash any fucking movies, I'm pretty sure Michael Bay will send us a de- cease and desist letter. So, <laughs> Rise of the Beast marks the first Transformers film since 2018's Bumblebee. Transformers Rise of the Beast lands in theaters on June 9th of next year and is being directed by Stephen Cappell Jr., I think is how you say it, and pro- produced by the OG himself, Michael Bay. Uh, perhaps we have a new franchise season on the horizon, even though you guys don't want to. A lot of movies. Eventually, we'll have to. Eventually. But at Eventually. that point, you know, we'll we'll have amassed enough money that Michael Bay can't sue us. Um, <laughs> we'll just have him on the show so we can live roast him. Yes. Hey, Mr. Bay. Listen, Mike. Can I call you Mike? I can't be Mike. <laughs> can I call you Mike? <laughs> <laughs> In other news, Indian. Indiana Jones 5 trailer has officially premiered. It is receiving mixed feelings from fans. As much as some fans can't wait to see Indy back on the silver screen, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny uses CGI to de-age Harrison Ford, which is very different from Susan Spielberg's vision for the franchise. This time around, Spielberg is only producing the film while director James Mangold takes the reins. The story revolves around time travel, so it only makes sense to have a young Harrison Ford. However, de-aging technology is kind of tricky. Uh, as we see with other past Disney projects, it doesn't work so well. Oh, Star Wars. Oh, sorry. Something was in my throat. Continue. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> see the trailer for yourself and tell us what you think with about the de-aging CGI. Did you guys see the trailer yet? I have not. I haven't watched it yet. It's not terrible, but it definitely is like, it, it, maybe it was just because it was the trailer, so it was, wasn't fully done. So I'm not going right, to judge sure. it yet. But if that's what it's going to look like, it's going to look very uncanny valley. Okay. I see. I was going to say, I mean, we have to respect the fact that Harrison Ford is 80 fucking years old. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. They're not de-aging him for that. It's going to it has to do with the time traveling. So like, I, I understand. Get it. Yeah, I understand why. I'm just saying we have to also respect the fact that Harrison Ford is 80 years old. What a goat. 
And so with all these new trailers dropping, perhaps one of the most anticipated was Guardians of the Galaxy 3. After five years since their last film, fans have been patiently waiting for the franchise's final installment. With director James Gunn returning at the helm, fans have have hoped that the film will exceed their expectations. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is slated for release on May 5th, 2023. Now, this is the one I got a kick out of. I'm sure you guys probably will too. Maybe. We'll see. Pop artist The Weeknd has officially teased some new music for the upcoming Avatar sequel. Why? Oh. The artist posted on Twitter a 12 second teaser clip and featured a blue A with a bird in the center and was scored by a new never before heard melody. And the caption simply stated 12-16-22. He then went on to share another tweet shortly after from the new Avatar movie itself, their account, which read hashtag Avatar the way of water times. And then he added himself, uh, seemingly confirming his involvement with the upcoming film. This is not the first time though that the artist has worked on a film soundtrack. Uh, For example, he, made a song for Hunger Games, Fifty Shades of Grey, and also did like a duet thing for Wakanda Forever. Um, but we'll see. This just doesn't sound like it's going to work for Avatar, but we'll see how it goes. I think The weekend's a very distinct sound, so I will be interested to see how that works. Yeah. I could see Labyrinth doing it, but I don't know. Netflix has officially announced a documentary on Parasite director Bong Joon-ho that is set to release in 2023. documentary has been titled Yellow Door Looking for Director... Bong's unreleased short film and will explore Bong's creative origins during his university days. It will delve into the origins of Bong's career and creativity, as well as the rise of South Korean cinema in the mid-1990s. There's no official release date yet, but we will keep you updated. I cannot wait. I knew you would be excited for that one. I love Korean cinema. That's why I gave it to you. Oh, 90s Korean cinema, bro. What do you call anything by Bong Joon-ho in in the mid-2000s? Perfect. Yes. Excellent director. And lastly, our weekly box office ratings. As of December 2nd, Black Panther Wakanda Forever has a total gross of over $393 million after being in theaters for only four weeks. It's currently still at number one in the box office thanks to that 393 mil. Following right after is our new Christmas movie starring David Harbour titled Violent Night with a total gross of... $13,300,000 after its first weekend in the box office. Not bad. And finally, in third, somehow we have Disney's animated film, Strange World, ranking in over 25 million after its second week in the box office. These are, of course, subject to change. However, I believe Black Panther is going to stay at the top of the charts for quite some time. You know, Strange World actually, like, hasn't made back its budget. It's probably because they did no, no it's movie whatsoever. done zero. I didn't even know it was in theaters. I thought it just went straight to Disney Plus. Yeah, but they didn't. They literally did no advertising for that movie. I've heard it has really like what I've heard, though, is it's got good reviews. Like people are like, this is like a good Disney movie. However, nobody's watching it. Nobody nobody's watching it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so if you're interested, go see it in theaters. If not, then you're like us and you don't give a shit. Um, there is one more uh, headline that we want to mention um, because this was relatively recent news. Actress Kirstie Alley died the other day. She was known for acting in the TV show Cheers. Um, she was also in Star Trek and Scream Queens and a ton more. I was looking at her um, IMDb and she's in a lot. Uh, she died at age 71 after a battle with cancer. So RIP, Kirstie Alley. I was told today actually about it at work. So I had to quickly add it in just to mention it. Now, yeah. um, after all of that, I need a drink and I need specifically a drink from Big Lou's Big Bar. You mean Big Brews? Yes, you provide big brews at your big bar. But it's it's a brewery, so it's called the Big Brews. Oh my God, just fucking tell us your drink. <laughs> oh, I was trying so hard to segue. Uh, I'm not good at it, okay? No, I was just giving you shit. It's okay. You did great. I know. You did great. Thanks, Mom. You're welcome, sweetie. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. That made me so uncomfortable. Oh god. Uh now I definitely need a drink. Oh boy. Okay. Um anyway. <laughs> today's drink is brought to you by a I believe it's a blog known as the Rose Table. Um 
and they do more than just drinks. I believe they do. She, uh, Miss Katie Rose Watson is who posted this particular drink, but they do lifestyle, cuisines, cooking, etc. Uh, travel, Disney dinners, even. So go ahead and come check this out. Um, today's drink is the Clever Girl, made famous. Clever Girl. Clever Girl, made famous as most people would forget if they didn't watch the original Jurassic Park, actually originating in the first film and not in Jurassic World with Chris Pratt's role. <laughs> Since we've always mentioned that there are spoilers for movies you should have seen by now, uh, Mr. Game Warden Muldoon man, utters the words clever girl before being torn apart by a velociraptor. Um, and so now we'll get into the drink. Looking for the perfect drink for your Jurassic Park themed party? You've come to the right place. Oh, boy. Named after one of the most iconic lines in the film and expired, inspired by the green jello that jiggles on Lex's spoon when she spots a raptor in the dining room. This drink will will thrill any Jurassic Park fan. I came up with this for my Jurassic Park party cocktail, but I've also included non-alcoholic version so you can make this for your dino loving kids. I would have loved this drink as a kid. Mm, let's hear it. Determined to incorporate green jello into my party, I based this recipe on an orange jello drink I used to make at all of my Halloween party. The clever girl is very simple flaked lime jello and sparkling white grape juice. The result is a ridiculously addictive fruit punch that kids and adults will love. Uh, the actual alcoholic version of the clever girl is going to have four serving packages of green jello, lime flavored, one cup boiling water, half cup cold water, half a cup of vodka oh. and then sparkling white grape juice mm. um, as that's a lot of vodka mm -hmm. it is a lot of vodka but it, i think it's because it dissipates into the jello um you're going to place your jello mix into a bowl or your boiling water of, on top of your gelatin mix and whisk for two minutes or until your gelatin has dissolved you're going to stick stir in your half cup of cold water and half a cup of vodka cover and refrigerate for four hours or until the jello has set then proceed to Use a fork to flake the jello. Add a half cup of jello flakes to each glass. Top with sparkling white grape juice and mix with a straw. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think is that the whole recipe? Yeah. I think it's good. Then there's then there's like the non, you know, there's a non-alcoholic version, but who cares the about pussy that? Version. Um the, ch the children friendly version. Uh yeah, that's what I meant. We're not child friendly um, here. We're not kid friendly here, no. We uh no. We, um, or I, I should say, I think it's definitely sounds good, but it does sound super duper sweet. And there's only so much of like sweet drinks I can have before I get super fucking sick. So I'll give it a four out of five. Um, cause it sounds delicious. It sounds definitely like a party drink, like something you would kind of serve at a party and not just like make one night when you're wanting something to sip on. <laughs> So yeah. I would have it. If someone handed it to me, I'd be like, fuck yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Something to to uh chime in on on whether or not it's actually sweet. Um, I don't know if you've had jello shots with vodka. I've dabbled in them. She's I've dabbled, dabbled in them. Mm -hmm. Um if you if this is as strong as I think it is, it's definitely not gonna have a sweet flavor. <laughs> it's not even it's not even so much the flavor, it's the actual sugar content that I'm worried about. Sure. That's the part yeah. that makes me get sick. I mean, you could make it with sugar-free jello. This is true. I probably wouldn't even taste the difference. That sounds exactly. Disgusting. All right, so what do you guys rate it then? I'm going to give this a 4 out of 5 cuz I would love to try this drink. I like jello. I think alcoholic jello would sound really freaking fun. Um Have you ever had a jello shot? No, actually I've not. <gasps> we must make it once. <laughs> Can you make Lou? Do you think you can condense this and make it to a, like a Jello shot form for this? No, definitely not. Jello shots have Jello shots have one cup of vodka in one shot. <laughs> oh, no, I'm saying like yeah. If you were to if you were to like condense it, could you make like a smaller version? Would you be able to make it into a shot? Um, the problem with making Jello shots is that it has to be like made in a batch. It can't be made in a single setting. I can turn this into something else that would have a similar taste. And try to make it like that. Um, what, what would I even go with that? Mm, that's good. That's going to make me think about something. So I, I'll save that for later. Maybe for next episode, I could bring bring back to you an idea. But um, personal rating also, uh, I'm going to give this about a four out of five. This I remember dabbling in quite a few mm -hmm. jello shots in my time. 
I've, I've had mixed reactions with jello shots. If you have it too strong, it's not enjoyable. <laughs> um, mm. And if it's not strong enough, you're just eating jello. So it's like, if you find that perfect medium, which I hope this, you know, Katie Rose Watson found the perfect batch or the perfect balance in her batch, then I kudos to her. Mm. I've also had, um, you know, vodka gummy bears. So there's that. Those are good too. Yes, but if you leave them in too much vodka, it is quite the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so same review all across four to five yeah. for each of us. Is that the first time we've all given it the same rating? I think so. I think so. Wow. Look We're at getting us. more in sync. Agreeing. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Well, um, <clears throat> thank you for your drink, Lewis. You're very welcome, Bethany. Also, I forgot to comment that the photo you sent of it is very pretty. I like the color. Yeah. It is nice. Can, Can you, you do guys? any color? Uh, yeah, I don't see why not. Uh, the Ooh. the green, what you referenced on the blog, was uh, in reference to a scene from the original when they're in the in that fucking like dining hall and the raptor shows up behind the green jello. Oh, uh, right, right, right. That, yeah, right, that's right. Ladies and gentlemen, the clever girl. Now, uh, for my segment of best question of the day i don't know why but that made me think of the fucking song that spongebob sings where he's like serving it up gary's way um i don't know what the fuck is wrong with me today so today's quote unquote question um and the reason i say quote unquote is because it is not a question at all but in fact a game now it's not just any game it's not trivia i'll tell you that okay sorry to disappoint I know how much you love trivia. Um, I was super bored one day. So I completely made a D&D game that we're going to play. Um, stands for dinosaurs and dinosaurs, though, not Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so pretty much how it's going to go. <laughs> that was so dumb. So I have rules um, that I made. So we're going to follow mine with the exception of if something doesn't make sense, um, we can change it. But I have characters, which are, of course, dinosaurs. And um, we're going to do it kind of like 5e combat style. So uh, with a little bit of a twist on it, just because it's very complicated D&D. So I made it super basic so everyone can follow along. Um, and whoever's editing this section, whether it's Bethany future bethany or future isaiah if you're listening please cue like D sound effects and music so you can really get into the, the mood i want dinosaur screams and sword attacks and all that shit we're not gonna okay. survive we're gonna die <laughs> so uh there are nine dinosaurs to pick from we are going to sure. do it by um basically rolling to see who gets to pick first and then they get to pick based off of who they want and then we keep going until there's none left and then we'll fight to the death so i'm going to show you guys the yeah i'm going to show you guys the the stats of each character or dinosaur or whatever the fuck choose your character okay so um before we pick though we need to decide who's going to go first so isaiah yeah you have a DD die right i do 20-sided die i do um because you're a fucking nerd I'm kidding. I actually Nobody really like D and D. No one will let me be dungeon master, but whatever. I'll let you. I'll let you be dungeon master. I really want to play. Um, I just don't know how. So I made it up. That's what I do. So these are the stats. These are the characters. You will pick three out of the nine. Um, so Isaiah, you roll to see who determine uh, determine who goes first, and then we'll roll again to see who goes second. Here we get higher, baby. Come on, give me twenty no whammies. I have an eleven. Oh no, it's a sixteen. 16. How did you confuse 11 and 16? It's the font on the die. <laughs> okay, so you have 16. Now roll for Lewis. Lululemon, you have a five. Oof. All right, and now roll for me. You also have a five. Whoa. They'll roll again. Okay, roll, yeah, roll again for me. You have a six. <laughs> okay, so it'll go Isaiah, me, Lewis. Oh. Um, now let me explain the rules before you pick your characters because these stats actually are important to know. So there's two stats. There's strength and there's speed, okay? Strength, obviously, is how strong the character is. Speed is how fast they are at um, moving. <laughs> uh, each, wow. Yeah, each, Incredible. Oh, what a thunk. Uh, 
Each dinosaur has 50 health, okay? Even across all borders. Borders? What we'll do... Borders. Even across all boards? Board. Yes. Fuck off. Across the board. Um, <laughs> across the borders. So we will do um, kind of a bracketed way, too. I have a bracket in front of me. Here are the rules. We'll roll initiative to determine who goes first out of the three of us once we've picked our dinosaurs. Whoever's attacking rolls a die. Uh, and it must be 10 or higher to be considered a hit. Anything under 10 is a miss and we go to the next player. What If it is over 10, we take the die number. So let's say it's 11, just for simplicity's sake. Take 11 and we add whatever your character strength is. So if we're using the T-Rex, his strength is five. He's one of the strongest ones. We take 11 plus five and that's the total damage done to the opponent. So you would take their health, subtract 16, boom. Okay, does that make sense? Following so far? Yeah. Yes. Great. I hope everyone else is because this is intense. Um, now, once the opponent's health reaches zero, then the character is eliminated and we move to the next bracket. And then whatever health is remaining of the winner rolls over to the next battle. I'll keep track of that. Um, now, the speed does play a factor depending on who's going against who. So if the attacker's speed is lower than the opponent, so for example, if the T-Rex has a speed of one and he's going against a Triceratops that has a speed of three, so the T-Rex is lower, then um, the opponent's speed is subtracted from the attacker's final damage. So it would be like whatever. It, it, it's pretty simple. I can explain. I'm DM, so I'll explain as we go along. But that's pretty much it. And keep in mind, the most important point is that each player gets one heal, which gives you an extra 25 HP. So if your character's about to die, you can use it, but it must be done at the end of one of your like matches. Can't be done during the middle of one. That's it. Those are all the rules. <sighs> Easy peasy. <laughs> Easy peasy. Okay. Isaiah, pick your first character. Okay, insert elevator music while we pick our teams. Okay, we're back. And uh, after about 20 minutes of deciding, we have our characters. So starting off is Iceratops, the Spinosaurus, and the Brontosaurus. And then I have the Pterodactyl, Velociraptor, and the Allosaurus. And Lewis has the T-Rex, the Stegosaurus, and the Angliosaurus. So pretty, pretty good teams all around. Now we're going to start off by rolling to see who is going to fight who first. So Isaiah, if you will. Um, me first. Yes, roll and see. I what have you're... a natural twenty. Okay, so Isaiah's definitely going to be in the first battle. Got it. Natty twenty. Natty twenty. Let's go. And then roll for me. Oh, that is a nine. Okay, now roll for Luis. Oh, that is it. also a natural 20. Oh, yeah. oh Luis yeah. and Isaiah versus each other. All right, so pick your pick your battlers. Who are you? Who's going to fight? Pokemon's going first. Um, Since Isaiah rolled first, you get to pick who you want to send out. I'm sending out the Triceratops. Okay. Who are you sending out, Luis? I will send out my Ankylosaurus. Okay. Now, uh, Isaiah, since you were first, you get to attack. So you will be attacking Lewis's. So I'm rolling to see how much of an attack I am giving. Yes. Getting. If you roll over 10, um, then it's considered a hit. So you got to get a 10 first, and then we'll go from there. Nat 20, no whammies. Nat 20, no whammies. It's a one. <laughs> Hilarious. It's a miss. Lewis. <laughs> Attack. <laughs> Lewis got a 15. Okay, all right. Now we now Whoa. we got something. All right, so Lewis, you have 10, 15 as your um, attack number. So you're fighting with the Anglio. Streets, speed two versus Triceratops. Okay, so the Triceratops Three. is a little bit faster. Yeah. So um, you're going to have just the damage of... Oof, I gotta do so much math. 18. Oof. Oh. 18 damage. Wait. 18 damage is done to Isaiah. I got a 15. You got a 15 plus your four strength. Plus, okay, minus his three speed. So that should be 16. You are correct. Shut up. I'm the DM. <laughs> your, math, your math is dog water. 
It's okay. Okay, so Isaiah's Triceratops is at 38, 34 health. 38. Shut the fuck up. 34 health now. Already down. 3450. Isaiah, roll for attack. I am counterattacking with nothing. I got a four. You suck. Lewis, hit him again. I am counterattacking your counterattack with a... Ten. Oh, he's hitting him again. Okay. Another 11 damage. Hell yeah, brother. Damn, he does that math so fast. I do it in my head. Great. I'm so glad you can do it. I'm so glad <laughs> someone can, can, okay? 23. We're down to 23 health now for Isaiah. I need, oh, I need no. to come back. I need to come back. Come on, guys. Uh, it's an 18. Hey, oh. Okay, so now do the math for me, Lewis. My human calculator? 18 plus 3. Actually, he's faster than you, so no... There's no subtraction, yeah, it's so it's easier. It's 21. Oof, yeah. big hit. Big hit for Lewis's Ankylosaurus. Wow. That brought Lewis down to 29. That is correct. Off of that first initial hit. That was a crit. That was a crit hit right there. Oh. I think it was at, what, 23? Yeah, 23 to 29. All right, all right, okay. all right. Let's go. Lewis's going to attack again. He's got a one. Oof. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. And I get back with... A one. Swing and another miss. <laughs> swing, bada, bada, swing. And he hits me with a 13. Ooh, a 13 from Lewis's side, bringing Isaiah down to... Uh, oh, she doesn't know her math. Hold on, 13 plus four is 17, minus three is 14. 14. And, and Isaiah was at... Isaiah, he's at 23, so he's down at nine. Oh, geez. One more hit from Lewis, and Isaiah's a goner right from the get-go. This is where the Pokemon music thing is with doo 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 Yeah. <laughs> All right, Isaiah, you need a crit hit again. I need a hit. I need a hit. I need a hit. I'm not hitting it to seven. <laughs> Yikes. All right, Yikes. let's finish him off. I see it. It's a 12. Oh, no. Isaiah's no. gone. That's it. Yep. It's over. And it's gone. I lost the first battle. Yikes. Um. Okay, so to sum it up, Isaiah is out of the first round, letting Lewis advance to the second match in the first round. Right? Sarah, my Triceratops, no. What was its name? Sarah. Oh, I didn't hear that part. <laughs> Sarah, no. Uh, all right. So the Triceratops is gone, and Lewis's Anglosaurus is the winner. Now, Lewis, to. Uh, finish out this round to see who wins. Lewis is going to be fighting his Ankylosaurus versus my... We'll do ter my Pterodactyl. Hell yeah, brother. Screech. Ah! Oh, that scream. was the worst. Now, oh, Lewis's health. What's his remaining health right now? 29. Okay, 29. So Lewis is at 29 health. Do you want to, before the beginning of this match, use your one heal, or do you want to save it? I will save it. Okay. So Lewis is at 29 health. Now, um, Isaiah, roll to see who goes first for me. Rolls go first, so best. Roll for me. Eight. Okay. And 18. <laughs> okay, so Lewis goes first. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. All right, Lewis, what you got? Let's see. It's a 13. 13. Oh, damn, that's a hit. All right. Well, I only do nine damage because we're subtracting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I got speed five. Please use I thought your you had map. Speed you four. did nine damage? I thought you had speed four for the pterodactyl. No. T oh, sorry. I'm looking at the velociraptor. Yes. So, yes, it is nine. Okay, so nine damage. So I'm at 41 health. Not bad. I can take it. Okay, that's pretty good. All right. Roll for me, Isaiah, please. It is a 13. 13. Oh, All right. Well, shit. Is that a death? No, no. I wish. Oh, you wish. That was 16 damage. 16 damage, so I've got 13 health. Whoa. Okay. Lewis is low on health here. Might be able to win this. Yes, sir. Isaiah. Seven. Son of a bitch. Isaiah. A three. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 15 for Lou. Oh, no. Hell yeah, brother. The underdog. Is That's a minus back. three. <laughs> 12 damage. Brings you down to, a, I believe, a 29. Fuck. <laughs> Imagine Lou comes out on top of this. Oh, that'd be funny as fuck. All right, mm -hmm. roll for me, please. It's a 10. 
Okay. Okay. Plus 13, plus three, that's a three, that's a 13, I'm dead. Yes! Oh, that's perfect! Perfect! One hit, let it be known that I also went in with less than four, with just over half health. Yeah, you did win. You almost did. Very close. So that makes makes Beth the winner today. (laughs) I somehow won. I don't know how, but I won. Um, And we'll see who advances to the next round to go against me. Um, And we'll go from there. But you guys can no longer use your Triceratops or your Ankylosaurus. They are both dead, unfortunately. They have fainted. fainted. (laughs) Unless retreat. Anyways, um, yeah, so stay tuned for next week's episode and we'll see who wins the, the next round. And now, Isaiah's fun facts of the day. Oh, yes, I, Isaiah. I, I have facts. Some of them are fun, some of them are not. No, they're all pretty fun today. Oh, okay. Oh, oh all right. We're going to get into some actors and actresses who almost played people. My favorite. Because, you know, I always like that segment. It's always fun. That's it not is. what I call this. Okay. I was looking for to see if there's any lawsuits. There were no lawsuits. There were no lawsuits. Damn. I like to I like to look at the like the Wikipedia page to see if there's any lawsuits of people like suing for ridiculous reasons, <laughs> like the Matrix movies. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll never forget about um what the CIA agent <laughs> who's oh who tries to kill uh revised what we call revived Hitler. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that because that's totally the plot of the Matrix. <laughs> anyway, let's get into some let's get into some facts. All right, so actors who almost played. We're going to start with the uh, Dr. Alan Grant. Actors who almost played him include, obviously, Harrison Ford. It's Steven Spielberg. His first go-to was uh, Harrison Ford. However, Ford turned it down because he felt like him. <laughs> him and George Lucas. <laughs> um, but Ford turned it down because he didn't feel the role was right for him, which um, I think kind of worked. I think it, who we have now is good. Um, mm-hmm. Richard Dreyfus. Uh, for reasons that are unknown, um, but are most likely due to his unpleasant experience on Close Encounters of the Third Kind, turned down the role mm-hmm. because uh, Steven Spielberg also directed thir- uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and apparently he didn't have a fun time on the set. So he's very okay. he's been very outward about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the third person was Kurt Russell, who mm-hmm. I guess Kurt he requested. Russell? Yeah, Kurt Russell. He, mm. I guess at the time you requested a very high salary and Universal was like, hell no, we're not paying that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt Russell. Very confused <laughs> by that choice, but okay. Yeah, someone did point out that it would be kind of weird for him because he's like an action hero, right? Like he's going to, uh, being the brainy scientist to like survive doesn't, wouldn't match. Mm. Especially given like, you know, Kurt Russell in Escape from New York and all that kind of stuff. So now John Hammond, our lovable millionaire sort of he was obviously played by richard attenborough an actor who almost played hammond was sean connery who turned it down for unknown reasons which is not the first time he turned down a really good role (laughs) i honestly could see connery but just not in the same character i would see him based as more as like the novel version of john hammond yeah i think john hammond was a good choice john hammond was a good choice yes Yes. John Hyman was a good choice for John Hammond. No, it was Richard Attenborough. Yes. Was an excellent choice. Fuck, that's what I meant. You know what I meant. I we know what you meant, but we we yeah. we are just shitting on you no, all night. I, I don't think so. Can you can you explain it to me? I don't know. I My brain is still know. trying to wrap around the fucking dinosaur game. We just played. How did I win? I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. Now, actors who almost played our lovable Doctor Ian Malcolm include and get ready for this list because it's wild right. jim carrey oh, okay johnny depp Let's see it. nope bruce campbell bruce campbell bruce campbell ruby michael keaton ted danson and michael j fox what and they all auditioned and they all had screen testing but the director janet hershenson always favored Goldblum because that was her original choice and she was like nah he's the best one so I I uh, don't know who Ted Danson is off the top of my head he is the oh my god he's the tall white guy with the white hair from the original CSI also he plays I think uh, the guy in charge of hell in oh, the good place oh I got you yeah, yeah, yeah I know who you're talking about interesting the cast of characters there but apparently Jim Carrey did a very good job they were like oh he was he was a close second but um, who was he supposed I, to yeah. replace again Dr. Ian Malcolm. Uh, okay, Goldblum. yeah. I mean, I could have seen it, but it would have. It wouldn't have. I don't think he would have portrayed him as much of like a playboy, but more of just like a buddy. A yeah, it's the, the comedic character. Goldblum is like 
unironically funny because because he's just like weird to have in that situation. Life uh, finds a way. Life finds a way. Now, actresses who almost played Dr. Ellie Sattler include Sandra Bullock. Oh, yes. Cool. <laughs> Helen Hunt and Gwyneth Paltrow. No. Really? No. <laughs> she would have been trying them. to sell her own vibrators. Oh, my God. Or sex candles, whatever the fuck she sells. This candle smells like my vagina. <laughs> I can't. That's what it's called, by the way. And I know it's. I I don't know what's wrong. I don't know. Goop. I I don't know. I don't know. Goop. Goop. Anyway, um, they all put in auditions. However, Spielberg always envisioned uh, Laura Dern for the role, and he always had her in the forefront of his mind. Therefore, she got the role. You know, I I have a love hate relationship with her because I hate her in Star Wars, but I love her in Jurassic Park. So you hate her as as uh, I believe it's Mon Mothma. Yeah. No, is it purple hair? Purple hair, bitch. It's not Mon Mothma. No, it's not Mon Mothma. That's uh, no. Mon Calamari or, or what the fuck Mon was her name? Calamari? <laughs> no, I'm serious. There's actually a character. I'm pretty sure that's named that. Um, Laura Dern. The Mon Calamari is uh, what Admiral Akbar is. It's the alien. Uh. Oh, my God. That makes sense. Anyway, um, Steven Spielberg. So now we're going to get into the actual movie. Those are the, so those are the people who almost ended up playing people in, these, in this movie. But we're going to get into the actual behind-the-scenes stuff now. Steven Spielberg originally wanted full-size animatronics for all the dinosaurs. That would have been amazing. It would have been. However, that proved to be super expensive. Yeah. The Universal was not going to agree to that. So for, all the, so for a lot of the close-up shots, they were animatronics that they could actually build. For the full-wide uh, shots, though, they were originally planning to be stop-motion. However, Spielberg said he didn't like how he wanted to be smoother. The animation, he didn't want like the stop motion choppiness. He wanted it. Mm. So Dennis Murin, the lead supervisor for Industrial Light and Magic, who was uh, on the project to help with the animation process for some of the scenes, said he could render out fully fleshed out dinosaurs. So Spielberg said, prove it. (laughs) Therefore... The first test footage we have of anything is a herd of Gallimimus skeletons running through fields of pictures of Hawaii. And the main selling point was when they fully fleshed out a scene with a T-Rex chasing them and eating a Gallimimus. And Steven Spielberg said, we're moving, we're moving the CGI. This movie will now be digital. <laughs> Which is crazy because the original stop motion director, Phil Tippett, saw it and told, when he they were watching it together. And when they saw it, Spielberg turned to him and said, you're out of the job, to which Tippett responded, you don't you mean extinct, which Spielberg later used those lines in the movie when uh, Malcolm is talking to uh, Grant. Calabas, Steve. No. No. OK, sorry. <laughs> also, to jump back real quick, uh, she her character was Emelyn Haldo. Mm. Of the famed Haldo Holmes. maneuver. Emelyn what? Emelyn Haldo. More Holdo. like Emelyn Haldo. <laughs> oh, OK. okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so when this happened on April 19th, 1992, the, uh, the crew is what referred to this day as Black Monday for the, for the animation staff, as that's when the production officially found out that they were moving from stop motion to digital. Mm. However, the stop motion crew was still well versed in the movement of dinosaurs because they had been studying for quite a few months on how the movement of them would work and how they would, so that they could be accurately portrayed. Right. They were like, well, they still have this knowledge. They should be able to help us somehow. So they developed what's called a DID, which is a dinosaur input device, which is basically a traditional stop motion arm or shape of a dinosaur. But instead of having an actual dinosaur, like, you know, to film, it would have motion trackers on it and they would animate the movements into a computer. So they would do the movements as if they were doing stop motion, but it would transfer to the computer so that it could be digitally rendered instead. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, they just created some dinosaur technology. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, when the actors had to act horrified as the cow was being eaten, uh, if you guys remember that scene. Mm. Yes. Vividly. Yeah, they all had to act as if they were like disgusted and terrified. However, behind them was Steven Spielberg yelling into a bullhorn, making growling and snarling noises. So it was very hard for them to try to keep a straight face. <laughs> That's good. Uh, we're going to get to the T-Rex, which is the greatest part of this movie. <laughs> so Spielberg was one day on his way to work, and he was blasting Earth, Wind, and Fire through his car speakers. As one does. Of course he was. As, of course he was. I love him. 
Do you remember? When he he had noticed that the rearview mirror was vibrating to the sound of the music. He later used the same effect in the movie when the T-Rex is, you know, hitting the ground and you can see it. The only way they could capture that was by putting a little motor on the back of the rearview mirror and they would and it would turn on every time they wanted to simulate the the stomps of the T-Rex. Mm, that's neat. Now, to neat. get the water ripple effects in the same scene, it was con- that is the most difficult one they had to make to get the most practical to get that practical effect it was probably the most difficult on the entire set because what had to happen is the little uh, cup of water was attached to a guitar string that okay. ran under that ran through the car underneath it and to another crew member outside who then plucked it. Oh, and it would create that. And would make that, that would make that ripple effect. Is and then the oh well, okay. I'm trying to comprehend it in my head. Sorry. So like I guess wherever so where the cubs are underneath it was it was attached to a guitar string and the gar, the guitar string then went through the car underneath it outside and then there was a crew member nearby who was a, who would just pluck it and it would the vibration of the ah okay now it's now i get it okay 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 it's it's i have the image now thank you so now the t-rex wasn't when they created the scene when they built the concept of it it wasn't originally meant to be raining however the animatronic and so the animatronic when it was built wasn't built to withstand the weight of water on top of it Mm. so um the animatronic would it wasn't able since it wasn't able to hold the extra weight it would cause it to shake violently it would sometimes scare the crew obviously because it would just start freaking out sometimes however they would have to stop production to then swat it with dry towels <laughs> so that it would stop shaking he was cold he was cold. now uh sound designer gary rydstrom went out and captured actual animal sounds to create the sound of the dinosaurs so he went out to like a field and captured some sheep and stuff like that with a microphone and so the sound of the T-Rex's footsteps are the uh, sounds of falling redwood trees in the forest. Uh, yeah, I saw an Instagram video of, of a guy talking, the guy, the sound designer, like talking about each layer of the, that T-Rex scene. But go ahead, yeah. because I'm sure you're about to explain it. Yes, yeah, so it's a <laughs> lot difficult. So to simulate the roar and sounds of the T-Rex, they were composited of a mix of a dog, penguin, tiger snar- snarl, alligator's gurgle and a baby elephant squeal baby elephant squeal yes and then um so the very deep alligator vocals acted as a low frequencies element for like Yo. the for the final Terrifying. roar it was a tiger's uh growl for like its low you know growl noises that it would make <laughs> i don't know how to explain low that. growl you... noises were used for low growl noises <laughs> yeah but like it was a tiger's one that's what that was gonna yeah. say Gary Rydstrom stresses the key part of the sound in the high frequency was the baby elephant screech as it only ever did it once. And the animal handler said they had never heard a sound come out of an elephant like that ever before. That's crazy. Meaning that roar is extremely unique because it can never be replicated. <laughs> huh. I did not know that. Fair. Also, and so for uh, the velociraptors, it is a the high pitch like screaming that it makes is a dolphin. So like that noise. When it screams, you know, when the Velociraptor notices Lexi, yeah, when she's like trying to close the door and it like screams like a high pitched scream. That's what I was trying to imitate, but I ruined I, I butchered it. It was well because it sounded more like what- and the seal are the low frequencies for a Velociraptor. That's interesting, though. What about the purring? Oh, I liked their noises. Purring noise? I don't know. I, they said the low frequencies was a seal and the highest frequencies was a dolphin. Uh, I'm sure it was a yeah, I guess the seal would make sense for the there. door open. You know that scene where it's like, unless they learn how to open doors, and then you see the fucking Velociraptor opening the door. Mm. And it's making that weird, like, purring noise. <laughs> now, the movie and the book generated so much interest in dinosaurs that the study of paleontology has had a record increase in students, dubbing what is called the Jurassic Park generation in paleontology. That's cool. That's actually really cool. I, I don't know why that made, that made me happy. <laughs> Better they do that than become TikTok stars. Now, for our final fact today, on September 11th, 1992, Hurricane Aniki struck Hawaii. Landfall happened to be the very hotel that the crew was staying at, and it lasted for nine hours. It was a Category 4. They were all staying on the island of Kauai in Hawaii. In fact, the eye even went over the, the hotel, and Steven Spielberg went outside and said that he, it was just perfect blue sky, but then 
there was just walls of white clouds on the other side and it slowly just moved away. And he said it was the, probably the greatest special effect he's ever seen. <laughs> Which is like... Uh, what a way you. to I mean, state that. I was like, hey, man, what do you call it? That's the greatest special effect nature could ever make, bro. <laughs> Yeah, and these um, graphics are insane. <laughs> <laughs> now, during the whole thing, everybody was uh, confined to the ballroom. So every all the cast and crew were all hanging out in the ballroom, just, you know, making light of it. Mm-hmm. And after the whole thing uh, ended, Spielberg went up to <laughs> went up to Richard Arborough and found him asleep and woke him up and said, hey, you went through you slept through the whole thing. To which Rich and Arrowboro responds, Oh dear boy, darling, I survived the Blitz. <laughs> oh! Oh my god. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Say no. it again. Oh dear boy, darling, I survived the Blitz. I love it. Do you know what the Blitz is, Beth? No. Oh my god. The Blitzkrieg? Uh, what's one? The bombing of, of London by Germany during World War II. Oh, 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 oh. See, I didn't put that together. I just thought it was like a fucking slang term no, no. they used for hurricane or something no 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 he's talking about that he's talking uh, about when no England i know now we, now you said it it, it, it it's connected a little slow today okay that's amazing though. Pause. but those are all my facts okay. thank you for your facts isaiah that last one was very <laughs> nice little bow yeah that very endearing fact of about mr richard attenborough mm-hmm, very good indeed um well, I guess yeah, on that note, let's let's actually talk about the movie and what we thought about it. Uh, as I said in the beginning, I would categorize it as another uh, Spielberg classic. Mm-hmm. Some interesting things I noted that are, I guess, important to the film and important to like the time of when the film was being made or when the book was written or what have you. Um, in the beginning of the 90s. The Human Genome Project was started. So when they decided to map the entire human genome, the first report was made in 2001, I believe. But the internet, literally the internet, was created in like 1993 when this movie was released. And they'd already done some experiments with cloning and understanding some other things about genetics and and DNA and stuff like that. Um, But around this time period, there was a lot of stuff that they were learning about cancer, about the human genome, about DNA, about a variety of things. And I think those played a very important role into how they approached filming the scenes regarding like, you know, like how did you make the dinosaurs, you know, and like they're talking about recombining frog DNA and, you know, obtaining DNA from amber encased mosquitoes and whatnot. Mm. And even even the scenes where they tried to shoot like the archaeological shoots, I think that was very, I want to say it was well done in terms of like trying to adhere to the reality of what it is. Mm. Obviously stretching it a little bit in the case of like, you know, straight up cloning dinosaurs for the sake of this film. But I think the concept tackles a very important thing, not only in the field of genetics, but like the ethical aspects. So ironically, mm. I, ironically, the, the line Jeff Goldblum like utters is they never stopped to think that they should or life finds a way, you know? Yeah very accurate statements from his character regarding like, you know, what's the reality of like messing with the human genome or messing with any kind of DNA um, and that sort of thing. And, and we kind of see those effects today as, you know, science, not in the same sense, but like scientists are starting to kind of, uh, they'll see headlines that are obviously very stupid sounding or crazy sounding, but like they'll be reviving prehistoric bacteria essentially. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of those techniques actually came from what they started to learn about the human genome and um, the research into cryogenesis and so on and so forth. But uh, I, I admire Spielberg's adherence to the realities of science, even if uh, some of it's fictional. You know, I think it makes for a better immersion in the film, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I agree. And yeah, I, I would give this film. Uh, I haven't actually thought about my rating, so I'm going <laughs> to. No, I just I really like I enjoy Jurassic Park. It's a, it's a great film itself. Mm. I'm going to give it four and a half. Okay pretty good so uh, i'm probably gonna get a lot of hate for this Uh but i actually don't like jurassic park at all i'm just kidding uh it's a five out of five for me i think it's an instant classic you know i feel like everybody should at least once in their life see the movie i have personal love for steven spielberg films so 
Um, there's he he just manages to hit that nostalgic note so well. And um, his use of practical effects that Isaiah kind of touched on in his segment, his use of, of practical effects is something that I have a lot of respect for. And I wish I, I'm glad to see it's making it come back slowly. I just wish it was done even more because I feel like with today's advancement in animatronics and and um, efficiency and like saving, they could probably save some money, you know, and it would probably look way better than fucking Doctor Strange's third eye and universe of multiverse of madness. But that's besides the point. Literally anything that's come out, but from Disney in the last like six years. Yeah, there was um, speaking of Lewis's drink, the clever girl drink. Uh, I loved that character. I forget his name, but um, he was. I think it's Greg just, Muldoon. Something like that. He's he's Muldoon he's the, the goat. game warden. <laughs> he is a goat. Um, for a two-hour-long movie, a little more than two hours, it felt very well paced. Like there wasn't a yeah. single second where I was just like, "Oh my god, is this almost over?" It was it was more like, "Oh my god, this is already over." Because from the minute you start it you are just captivated by the story obviously it has iconic quotes such as life finds a way and clever girl as we've stated a gajillion times already um and another thing i wanted to bring up was this comparison video i saw i can't remember the youtuber so i'm so sorry for not giving you credit on this but Basically, they stated why the the new ones suck compared to the old ones. And um, it was just he made one good point that really, I think, stuck with me. And and when I saw the first one again, I I realized what he was saying. Like I saw it for myself and um, it'll make sense. You know, once we see the new ones that in the new, you know, Jurassic World movies, there's this lack of awe and amazement versus the first few. Every time you see a dinosaur, there's just this awe and amazement coming from the actors and from the music and everything. Whereas, and then he even showed like a side-by-side of camera angles and camera angles play a huge part in, it can be the most subtlest camera angle, but it tells a whole story in itself. Whereas like in the first, you know, in the prequels, um, Anytime an actor is looking at a dinosaur, they're looked down on because dinosaur is great and massive and huge and and everything. And and, uh, Jurassic World, most of the dinosaurs are just angled. They're viewed from eye level or from looking like up at like the it's at like eye level of the actor, you know, so it's like it's not as what's the word I'm looking for here. Awe inspiring. Yeah, it's I'll have to show you guys a link. It was really good. Like video review um but yeah he he he's explained it way better than i am i'm really butchering it um so i yeah i think overall great movie uh the only issues i had were you know obviously the the hacking kid knows how to hack things of course she knows how to hack the exact computer and use the exact system and do all this shit um I thought that it was just stupid, but it was like, I don't give care enough. It was just funny. Um, Another thing, I don't know if you guys saw this at the end credits, but it was fucking produced by Kathleen Kennedy. Yes, yes, it is. I I wrote that in my cons. (laughs) Um, Apparently, that's the only reason why she got to the position. Well, not the only reason, but that's a huge factor as to why she was able to get the position she is in. Um, But yeah, I, I did not like seeing that name come across my screen um (laughs) so also shout out to my boy john williams for making a fucking banger of a soundtrack and um yeah that's something else i meant to mention this is one of the uh most well-known john williams yeah oh yeah um i also had a question for you guys and then isaiah you can go with your review um do you think john hammond is like a good or bad guy What's your thoughts on his character? I think he I think the what do you call it, Malcolm's line of they thought they could, but they sh- never asked yourself if they should. Mm. I feel like he was because he has that scene where he kind of explains where like why he wants to why he's doing it because he wants to give someone something real. And 
authentic and give that awe-inspiring uh, feeling to everybody. But then he thinks he can, if he just has enough money or like time that he can control what shouldn't be controlled, basically. Right. So I think like he had good intentions and they fell apart on him and he was just trying to hold on to the dream until that moment in the end where he realizes, wow, what have I done? Like this is... I put this my is own grandchildren at risk. Yeah, he's like, this is the complete opposite of what I wanted. So I feel like, I don't think he's a bad guy or like a villain. I just think that his intentions ended up getting flipped on, on its head and didn't expect that. Very right. well put. I would say I agree. I would, I would say something similar. Blinded um, by his own hubris. Aspirations. <laughs> Try not to choke on your aspirations, director. <laughs> Admiral. Oh. I was just curious. I mean, I didn't think you guys would say he was a bad guy. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on his overall character arc, I suppose. But anyways, Isaiah, go ahead with your review. Sorry. So what do you call it? I think there's just a note that Alan Grant just likes traumatizing kids. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the casting is absolutely perfect. I don't know who else, like, even with the other options that could have been, I still feel like the casting director was, thank God Janet was on the job because she chose absolutely, <laughs> she did an imma- immaculate job choosing the right people. Um, that just made me think of, fuck you, Janet, I'm not going to your fucking baby shower. Bless. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think that, oh my God, the amount of memes and like uh, things that come out of this movie that everybody universally can see, like the nobody cares memes, the clever girl, the... Oh, yeah. That's a big pile of shit. <laughs> like, oh, that's a good one. It's just, it's just it's uh, very relatable. I think it's funny. The score is iconic. John Williams did an amazing job. He purposely wanted to make something that was awe-inspiring. So the entire idea of like that Steven Spielberg, everybody in the part of the crew was, they wanted to make something that was awe-inspiring. Of mm-hmm. if this existed today, how would you feel? So Steven Spielberg, when he was making the movie, he was expressing that like he went, he kind of regressed into what if I was a child? I'm going to film this movie as if I were a child looking at these dinosaurs and being just, holy crap, that exists. I never thought I'd see it kind of thing. And same with um, uh, John Williams when he made the score of being, oh, my God, this is happening. The, the, this is next to impossible. And what do you, I've had the score stuck in my head for the last since I've watched the movie. So the CGI timeless, like the fact that it can survive. It's been 30 years or so. Yeah, that's a difficult task. And obviously you can note, you notice it. Some of it, some of the CGI is kind of dated, but the fact that it exists in a way that only looks semi dated, like mm-hmm. it looks like maybe it came out a couple of years ago and that's how dated it is. It looks better than a lot of movies that come out even now. Like, think of the Star Wars uh, remasters, or like the, the remakes, not the remakes, mm-hmm. but the special editions. All the CGI in there is god awful, <laughs> and they were oh, made yeah. in, the, and they were made in the, two, in the entirety of the two thousands, and that's and they look terrible. Mm-hmm. So, I, that's just a special note that is just wow. The CGI just somehow still holds up to today's standards, and I think as the years go on, it'll somehow still stay till certain standards and there's nothing they can do that there's no special edition of jurassic park where they can replace the dinosaurs they're gonna be like good or make it better i think it's exactly what it needs to be mm-hmm. surprise samuel, ja- samuel jackson's in this movie um i forgot about that <laughs> oh yeah that that was also uh i forgot about that the like you know re-watching this and i was like oh yeah he's in this yeah he, <laughs> um, this is before he got famous <laughs> also this movie is a horror movie i will not hear no uh if ands or buts it is considered a techno thriller uh, as Michael Crichton and Tom Clancy are considered the like the fathers of modern techno thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, so it's just interesting that it is a thriller like this is anything but a thriller or a horror movie because it, it definitely falls in that in those areas because of just how traumatizing and crazy and scary half the movie is. Oh, no, I can I can agree. I think it's its own. I wouldn't say its own genre of horror, but it's creature horror like Jaws, you know? Monster movie. That's what they're called. It's funny you say that because that's what Steven Spielberg was trying to avoid. He didn't want to make a monster movie. Oh, well, oops. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 I don't I didn't think of it as a monster movie either. I just think I just thought of like of it as a a thriller. 
But like when you go into it, you're thinking you don't think of it as a thriller. It becomes a man versus nature in this kid, like kid blockbuster. I don't know what else it could have been, but it also wasn't what I was thinking it was um, going to be. It's actually a coming of age movie <laughs> because Alan learns how to like kids at the end. Exactly. So that is my review. I gave it a five out of five. There's not a lot of downsides to it. It's pretty good. For people who I guess are closer to my age, um, if you were a fan of Seinfeld, don't forget that Newman is the villain in this movie. Um, That's who he plays. Couldn't remember his character's name in that. Yeah, it's Newman. <laughs> Newman. Well, thank you, everyone. And uh, welcome to season seven. That was a longer episode today. Yeah. Been recording for like two hours. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, remember to follow us on our social media at Silver Screen Sips and please share us with your family and friends. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, also now Amazon Music um, and Audible. So, hey We're also hey on Google Podcasts now, too. hey hey um, <clears throat> You can also send us your movie suggestions by emailing us at SilverScreenSips at gmail.com. And we will see you in next week's episode where we will dive into Jurassic Park 2. The Lost World. Dun, dun, dun. Dear God, help me. <laughs>